Welcome to Lockbox, a podcast providing real estate professionals with action items for success. My name is Jeffrey Broger, and I'm going to be your host. I'm the founder of two real estate marketing and tech companies, Steezy.Digital and RealNurture.io. In this podcast, you'll learn from top 1% real estate and mortgage brokers the exact secrets to their success. Welcome to Lockbox. Hello, welcome to Lockbox. My name is Jeffrey Broger, and I'm here today with Landon Hale. Thanks for being with us, Landon. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Why don't you tell our listeners who you are and where you're from? Yeah, for sure. So I am from north of Dallas, very, very small town called Collinsville. Uh, the company that I own and operate is here in Denton. So that, of course, is still north of Dallas. I, I started in real estate in September of 2013 and was on a team initially and then worked myself after a year into being what we call independent or solo agent Um Started my own team in January of 18 and then started my own brokerage in November of 19. And here we are today. Here we are today. Awesome time to get into real estate 2013. We had just, ha- just had the collapse and we were then starting what is now become like almost a 10 year run in, yeah. in real estate, which has been crazy. Absolutely. So, I remember we could, uh, we could win offers at asking price or less, right? Like right. It, it was a completely different world. And I, I look back now, you know, whenever we learn about real estate, it's usually, it, or almost always after it's already happened, you can look back at the data, you can get an idea with like maybe comps or something of where you are right now. But right. then I look back at 2013 and I'm like, my gosh, that was just starkly different, right? So just really cool. No, absolutely. Steve Jobs said, you can only connect the dots looking backward. Right. Can't do it looking forwards. So yeah, yeah, super interesting. So initially, what got you into the real estate industry? Man, I had graduated college and I worked for a small finance company for about 11 months and then had started working for a credit union. And my dad has worked at a bank my whole entire life and not knowing exactly what I wanted to do specifically, it was the credit union move or into that arena was more so well, this is what dad does. This is what dad has always done. And he's happy and he has salary and he has benefits and he can attend my ball games growing up. Right. So I started connecting all these dots that essentially qualified to me that that was what I wanted to do. And turns out it just wasn't, I was really, really, really bored. The work was really slow and quite frankly, just started praying what do I do? Lord, where do I go? Do I go back to school? Do I move towns? What does this even look like? And real estate was pointed out. And so long story short, I could keep going, but long story short, that is essentially my introduction into real estate and took my exam, took my classes, took my exam and on we went. Interesting. Yeah. So you you liked more of the in-person day-to-day outgoing aspect of real estate. For sure. For sure. Matter of fact, my thought was I'm sick and tired of people having to come to me. I want to go to them. <laughs> that's yeah. pretty rare. I think that's, it's pretty rare, but yeah. you were able to listen to yourself. You know, that takes a certain degree of self-awareness. And as you said, you prayed, you put it up to the, to, you know, the God of your understanding and you right. said, Hey, where guide me. And sure. seemed like that prayer was then answered in the form of real estate. And you've now stuck with that sense. Um, it was broker. Yeah. 
So I'm curious for our listeners to give perspective of where you're at in your real estate journey. Uh, what was your transaction volume last year? Uh, and this last is the, for year, the whole team. The whole team. Uh, last year would be just over 32 million. Yeah, just over 32. I think we had 127 transactions. Cool. And that median house price out there is around 300,000? Give or take. Our Actually, our average last year was 251. Um, okay. That that will look different based on the market. I mean, you know what we're going through, right? So that's going to look quite a bit different uh, for 21, but we're not at the end yet. So we'll have to average it later. That's right. You know, one of my top clients, he is out in Las Vegas and he does like a hundred million a year and it blows away some of my California clients because the average price point out there is around 300. Right. <laughs> They're like, how's he doing that? Right. He has to do like 300 transactions. Yeah. But, uh, you know, for you, you know, you're doing 32 million and in, in a luxury market, that looks a lot different than doing sure. over a hundred transactions to get there. So, sure. you know, that, that says a lot about your systems, your, you know, your, your ability to generate leads, to convert them, to close them, to retain them. So, you know, I have a question about, you know, what advice would you give to, uh, you know, maybe a team leader or a new broker who's at like 10, 15 million, maybe 20 million, uh, maybe that in terms of transactions, that looks like they're doing about 50 or maybe 75 and they want to like step up and break that hundred and then, you know, 120. What are, what are some levers they could be pulling in order to, to really take that next step? I believe it starts with consistency, right? Consistency, mm -hmm. discipline, being resilient, right? Like that, I mean, in real estate, as you know, you're going to get knocked down. It's not a matter of if, but when. And so being able to have those pieces in place, and some of them are just quite literally how you carry yourself. And and discipline is is not something that everyone has. But that being said, if if no one could relate to that, I think another piece of advice that I would give in that arena would be to love on your people right? I mean, the mission of this company is to fill a gap in the mar marketplace in regards to the way agents are taken care of, valued, and rewarded. Now, we wouldn't have to fill that gap if it didn't exist, right? So, with that being said, I, I think leaning into and caring for your people and doing things for them, right? They're not just a number. They're not a dollar sign. They are your greatest asset. And so mm. I think leaning into them and creating that awesome culture uh, is going to be what allows them to do their job more freely, especially whenever someone feels respected or heard or understood or, or just in general re rewarded for the work that they do. I think that can go a really long way. I couldn't agree more. I think you are setting yourself up for a long and successful real estate career because all, all of my top clients, literally 100% of them care so much about their team and the people around them. And, sure. you know, it's no coincidence that they're top performers. Right. It's because the team around them begins to love and appreciate them so much as their leader that they'll now go to the end of the earth. They'll never think about leaving, right? They're not sure. sweating among commission splits. Uh, they're just like happy to be there and be a part of because yep. the leader is pouring so much into them and cares so much about them. For so sure. great point and, yeah. and so, so important. You know, <laughs> one of the tactics in early hiring is to hire slow and overpay. Mm -hmm. Because like, if you think about it, even like your first admin, Mm -hmm. A lot of real estate professionals early in their career will be like, I hear I need, you know, an assistant, an admin. What's the least amount of money I can pay someone so they won't leave? Right. 
<laughs> and right. yeah. you know, the flip side of that is like, what is the standard real estate admin paid in my market? And then going up like $5 an hour mm -hmm. and putting a, a job posting out for that. And then vetting candidates based on that, because you get a whole different type of candidate, by the way, you know, you could hold them accountable to such a, a different degree and they're just going to be happier. So sure. yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a big proponent of that, of just leaning in, loving your people. Yep. Absolutely. You're right. It all starts with that. Absolutely. It's relationships. It's a relationship business. Yep. And even the relationships with the team, it, probably more important. So you mentioned consistency, but mm -hmm. I'm curious if that's going to be your answer to this next question. Sure. What is the single most important action that you've taken on a daily basis throughout your real estate career that has attributed most to your success? So like a single KPI, like a, like the one thing. Yeah. Um, lead generation, right? right now I could take those two words, lead generation and chase those forever and ever and ever and say, well, part of it is database care. And part of it is maybe a client party. And, and, and part of this is maybe note cards. And maybe I saw on Facebook that you were sick. And so I send you flowers, right? But overall, I, I believe, so if you were to re remove lead generation, because I know a lot of agents hate that terminology and hate that word, it would be consistently caring for people in my circle or in my sphere or in my database. So consistently doing those things. And that the, the beauty of that is like, someone may hear me say, okay, well, you're caring for your person, right? You're caring for your people. And they say, well, I, I can't do that. Good. I hope not. You're not me, right? Like, you said you're an agent, I'm an agent. I have several agents here, right? Like we all, because of the license we carry, we all can do the exact same job, but we cannot duplicate each other's humanity. So you and I could have the same database. And if it's your database, you're going to win far more than I ever will because I can't take care of them the way that you do. So what That's I right. ho hope people hear is that the way you care for people is unique to yourself. Duplication of or, or duplicating how someone else cares for their database. Although you can take similar ideas and, and tactics and stuff like that and implement it, it needs to be implemented in the way you would do it always. Nailed it. And I love the word lead generation. Yeah. I know that, you know, it's very searched. I didn't know that some agents didn't really like that term, but if they don't, then another way to think about it is opportunity volume. Sure. There you go. Because if you have good systems in place, you're taking care of people, they're becoming raving fans, they're referring you to all their friends and family because they had an incredible experience. If you negotiate and got them, you know, under asking on the buy side, if you got them, you know, over list price on the sell side, if you're just blowing people's socks off because you're such an amazing agent in person, then what's stopping you from getting to that next level? It's opportunity volume. Oh, absolutely. You got, you got to I, have more. I, that. Yeah. Yeah. I see so many agents push back on being busy and, you know, I don't know if I can take on any more. I'm like, it's hire someone, word. take on more, you know? Yeah. No, I, I say that, you know, tongue in cheek because uh, a podcast co a couple of them ago with Pete Middleton, uh -huh. you know, top broker and friend in La Jolla, he said, you know, busy is something to hide behind. You mm -hmm. should be scheduled, not there busy. There you go. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and, and so to, to your point, I didn't mean to, to take you off track there. The point was, if you're busy, hire someone, right? Sure. Yeah. And then you can scale up your, your team. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. Scale is huge. So I like how you said you talked about, you know, single most important action you've done is lead generation. Gary Keller certainly agrees. 
You know, in, in his book, Millionaire Real Estate Agent, uh, he talks about first you're a lead generator, right? Right. You know, and, and then then you're a listing agent. Like that's mm-hmm. that's like the one and two. Like so, you know, if you focus on those two things, you'll definitely be successful. So I'm curious what percentage of your referral business or what percentage of your business is referral to new business? And then I have some follow-up questions. Yeah. So referral to new business is probably going to be north of 50%. And there are a couple of different ways to to look at that or at least break down that data because one could say, okay, well, our agents are doing 70% referral and the rest is, you know, paid leads or ads or or whatever. And then we can go down to the company level and we could say, okay, the agents that we are acquiring or hiring or bringing in, whatever you want to look at it, uh, however you want to look at it, the referral percentage goes Quite a, quite a ways down, right? We're mostly new, and that's by doing some of the things we're doing. We're actually not spending any money. It's attending real estate schools. Like mm. spoiler alert, right? That's literally what we're doing. So we are primarily new agents. We're equipped to you know play in that arena, but but yeah, that's that's what that that dynamic would look like. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. And with that being said, you know. First, I want to focus on referrals and then I want to talk about lead generation. So on the referral side, what systems do you have in place to generate more referrals? You're saying the agents on your team, 70% of their business is is referral approximately and that 50% or more of your overall volume was referral based. So that's Mm -hmm. huge. Um, So, you know, what systems do you have in place to generate more referrals? Yeah. So that would be, and it really stems from... I mean, I could talk about a lot of different things. I'll, I'll be brief, but like it could stem from being authentic, right? Being true to who you are. Like who I am is literally head to toe right now. I wear a hat every single day of my life. <laughs> Only do my hair if I have to go to a wedding or something, but I wear a hat every day. I'm true to who I am. I'm not looking to be someone I'm not. I am bold, right? But reserved in 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 and at other times. And so with with that being said, it's just ultimately being able to be authentic with and towards your database, but making sure that whenever you call, it's with purpose, but specifically to provide value because the thought of, hey, how are you? Good. Oh, well, cool. I was just checking in. How are things going? Like, get to the point. What are you selling me? Like I have right. so much appreciation and respect for the the telemarketers that will call me. And if it doesn't say spam or telemarketer, I'm usually guilty of answering. And they jump right in and they say, Hey, Landon, this is so-and-so with so-and-so company. I noticed X, Y, and Z. Are you interested in this? No. Awesome. Have a great day. Versus, Hey, how are you? How's the weather? This, that, and the, like no one cares. Right. And so being able and referral-based business is a lot of what we teach here, like primarily what we teach here. We can teach on many other things, but that is primarily it. And a lot of it, just to, to cut this off because I could go forever because I love this stuff, but it's interacting with your database with intention and value first. Mm, love that. I mean, yep. that one line right there is is just basically how to generate more business in any business in a nutshell. For sure. Uh, So great principle, great principle. And something that you just mentioned, Mm -hmm. the contrast of a phone call where someone's trying to like butter you up before they get something, build rapport 
Mm-hmm. So it's it's trained or kind of, yep. I think that that term is taken the, the wrong way. That's what people are trying to do in an inauthentic way. Right. One of my top clients, actually the guy in Vegas, Aaron, mm-hmm. he says, business first, personal second. Yeah. And that's that concept you describe with the telemarketer being very forthright. Sure. And you respecting that because they are in that moment respecting your time. For sure. As a high producing individual, they're saying, and, and what it looks like on the phone with a, a real estate contact is maybe something like this. Hey, John, long time. Hey, business first. And then I'd love to catch up after. I know it's the holiday season and the market is crazy right now. I just wanted to see if you or anyone you knew was buying or selling a home. You know, you know I'm still in the industry, top agent and would love to help them out. No, I don't. I can't think of anyone. Okay, cool. Hey, how are the kids? Right, and then you jump into everything else after. Yep. It goes so much better because then if they don't have the time for that phone call, they'll say, "No, hey, I don't, but I gotta go." Okay. Hey, no worries. Thanks for picking up. Bye. You know, and sure. they have the option to then thirty seconds in, you've already gotten your message across. Right. And you know, this is obviously with a warm database contact, but sure. you're not wasting their time. Absolutely. You're not, you're not trying to say like, hey, how are the kids, this and that. And they're like in the and middle, oh, there's a the fire way, at work. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> at yeah. the very end, after the conversation dies. And uh, by the way. Yeah. yeah. The, the real reason for my call, one, one thing that I am teaching our agents to do that I believe works really, really well. As they say, people don't hate to be sold to, they hate to be sold to poorly. Right. And so I believe, I, I call it calling their shot, right? So if I call someone in my database or if I'm new into real estate, which is a lot of of what we're coaching and training on, if I'm new into real estate and we're telling our agents to make that introductory call and introduce yourself with what you're doing, et cetera, et cetera, we usually will start that with maybe a letter, right? With the value they provide, et cetera, but it gives a reason for another touch. But when they pick up the phone, hey, so-and-so, this is so-and-so with Post Oak Realty, Uh, just wanted to touch base. Did you get my letter? Yes, I did. No, I didn't. Now the conversation is the same. Perfect. Hey, I just wanted to call and reinforce that I do want to do business with you, but I understand that that might not be right now. Dialogue, 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 anchor points, et cetera. But now we're stating it. It's not, hey, just wanted to make sure you got it. Um, So how are things going? And if you don't mind, I'm going to stay in touch. No, I want to do business with you. I care about you and your family. I know it might might not be the right time moving forward. Now I'm going to set an expectation and give myself permission to reach out. Moving forward, I will be in touch from time to time. Not can I, not is it okay, do you mind? Like this is what I'm going to do until you tell me to stop. Right. Yep. And I feel like that really helps, just like you said, with your your script there, that really just drives home the fact like, no, this is legitimately what I'm after. I run a for-profit business. Yeah. me. Right. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, like, that's what I'm doing. That's what I'm here to do. And I'm here to take care of you and provide value to you until you say to stop. That's right. Yep. Something that I learned early on, which reinforces that point. I was doing Cutco right out of high school, selling Cutco knives. Shout Been out. There. Did you did you as well? I did. And that that was my first summer back from college. So like nice. fall, spring, and then back that summer. And I, I did that. Nice. So in the referral script, mm-hmm. they have an incredible referral script. Mm-hmm. And I, I remember saying it and feeling all awkward. 
and, you know, raising my hands to the sales trainer and saying, this feels weird. We're asking for 10 to 15 names, even if they don't buy the product, like they just said no to me and I'm going to ask them for 10 or 15 names. Mm -hmm. And, and he pulled out, uh, you know, opened a drawer behind the desk, pulled out a yellow legal pad and just full of 15 names and flipped it, 15 names, flipped it, 15 names, flipped it. And then he pulled out like 10 more legal pads full. And he's like, it's only weird if you make it weird. Yeah. (laughs) I was just like, oh, you're so right. The anxiousness and awkwardness of me saying it because I didn't believe in it. I thought it was weird. That's being projected onto them. And now they feel like it's weird. It's come, you just got to believe if you truly believe that what you're saying is true and authentic and you're being direct forthright and that you do have their best interests in mind, it's so much more simple. You're not beating around the bush, you're not wasting people's time, you're not coming across awkwardly. So sure. yeah, I really appreciate the the focus on the key words in that script that you just mentioned. Right. Because it is, it's small little things. It's not can I, it's I will. Right. right? These Just these little things that, but then through that, it shows the confidence. And sure. when you study that with your team, they become, okay, now this is how Landon says it. Here's how I say it and feel good. Like it feels confident when I say it. So yeah, I'm really excited to see where your brokerage goes because you obviously have some good systems in place and you're just getting started. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You're you're, uh, eight, nine years in, right? And just getting started. So yeah, I'm I'm eight, eight year, almost eight years into the industry itself. And we're only a year and seven or so months into the brokerage or eight months. So, no, that's awesome. Yeah. And, you know, moving forward into the 2020s, I'm curious where you see the industry heading. I saw an ad last night watching, you know, watching something on Hulu with, uh, with my fiance. I can afford the ad free version of Hulu, mm-hmm. but I don't because I'm a media buyer and I like analyzing other people's ads. Right. <laughs> so I'm watching, you know, Brooklyn Nine-Nine on Hulu, hilarious show. And a Zillow 360 ad comes on. Uh-huh. Have you seen the new Zillow 360 ad? I've not. All in one. Buy, sell, and get your mortgage from us. Save thousands, right? Uh-huh. So so that's the, now the new Zillow promise, something they've been trying to do for, for a while. Uh-huh. And I found it very fascinating that they are positioning themselves as this one-stop shop and they're selling all the benefits to the consumer. But what the untrained consumer doesn't understand is now the largest financial transaction that most likely they will ever make is being decided by one entity, judge, jury, and executioner. Mm-hmm. Here's how much your house is worth. Here's how much this other house is worth. Here's the commission we're going to take. And by the way, here's the entire contract that we have had vetted with tons of lawyers. And now you're just going to sign, click away because it's a, you know terms and acceptance and yep. boom, 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 done, done, done. Like you're going to have no one representing you because we're actually just one entity that's yeah. <laughs> in the purpose of making money. For sure. Um, so I found it, knowing what I know, a very, very interesting ad. Like, ooh, tons of consumers are going to see that and think, oh gosh, I'm saving so much money. I'm cutting out the real estate mm-hmm. agent's commission, going direct. Mm-hmm. But what they're not understanding is that the Zillow fees mm-hmm. are actually many times in excess of yep. a 6% commission. It could exactly. be 10% of yeah. the total sale price. So I say that as a long preface to the question, where do you think the industry is heading? 
next five, 10 years? Like, what is the real estate transaction going to look like? You know, it's one of those things where when a buyer or seller says, well, what's the market going to do next year? And it's like, look, if I could tell you that, I would be so rich that I wouldn't even have to talk to you right now, right? Like, of course, that's being a bit dramatic, but the answer is ultimately, I don't know. Um, I would assume that, I, I don't know if in as soon as five years, things are much, much, much more automated. But I believe that lower end, which we're even working ourselves out of here in North Texas, but the lower end transactions, let's call it under 250 or under maybe 300 in some of these areas here, I could see potentially those starting to be squeezed into, just kind of squeezed into a spot of automation or no more agents. I don't I don't think that's 5 years from now and I could be very wrong and I'm fine being wrong, but I don't think that that's 5 years from now, 10 years from now, maybe so. But I look at it and like you've stated already like you know, 2013 and even most parts of North Texas were not fully recovered, but closer to fully recovered than not in terms of their recovering from the recession by 2013, right? So now we're looking at 10, 11, call it 2011, 2012. So now we're at the 10 year mark, almost 11. And we usually are gonna get that ebb and flow of real estate. So I look, right, five years from now, 10 years from now, different president, current inflation, all of these different things that are gonna be playing a factor into potentially playing a factor into what we do as an industry. And I literally just have to throw my hands in the air and say, I really, really don't know. Obviously, more technological advances and more tech savvy maneuvers that probably even the consumer can start to make. I would hope not, but I don't know, right? I mean, I know Zillow purchased um, showing time, which I don't know what you use out there to schedule appointments, but that's our scheduling hub, right? Like it's an app on my phone. It's on the computer. That's where we schedule our appointments. And I believe they have sold data. Well, and Zillow, maybe Zillow's had our sold data for longer than that anyway, but if they don't and it's in there, they do now, you know, right. and that that's one thing that allows the the agent to set themselves apart from the consumer primarily, but even these other big tech companies that, I mean, can play a really large role in that transaction. So, I think it will look different, drastically different in five, probably not starting to knock on the door of, wow, the landscape is changing in seven to 10, probably so. I was actually talking about this with someone earlier today. So it's funny you bring it up, but yeah, I think that is what it could be. I quite literally have no idea, but I think that's what it could look like. Well, it's a very honest answer saying, I mean, at the end of the day, no one has a crystal ball. And if I did, I'd be very rich. Sure, But um, I look at it as a bell curve. And this is an analogy I actually have not mentioned on this podcast before, even though I've asked that question a lot. I studied consumer behavior marketing in college. Mm-hmm. And it was one of my favorite classes. They talked about how these major conglomerates, these huge mega corporations that have multiple multi-billion dollar brands underneath them, Mm-hmm. will create brands to sell to different segments of the market because they understand this innately. Mm-hmm. There is a type of person 
if you look at the statistical analysis of the whole United States, if we just talk about beer, mm -hmm. there is a segment of the market that will only buy the cheapest beer possible. They will buy Bush, Keystone Light, like all those super cheap beers. And then, you know, if you look at a bell curve, it's high in the middle and then it swoops down lower like a bell and then tapers off to the ends. Mm -hmm. That represents the segments of the market. That's, you know, potentially a small or maybe a early, like a small to mid majority part of the market. Mm -hmm. Then there's the middle of the market. You know, that's where you have your Coors Light, you got your Bud Light, your Budweiser's, your, you know, your American beers, not terrible, maybe a buck or two more for an 18 pack or whatever. But there are some that in the middle, that's probably the majority of the market. And then you have the craft beer, you have the, you know, the, even the Michelob Ultra would be more of like a premium beer, which would be mm -hmm. like four bucks more than the cheap beer per an 18 or 24 pack. Mm -hmm. It's not that much difference, but it appeals to a different segment of the market. And guess what? In many cases, one company will own one of those brands in all three segments. Right. So what does this mean for real estate? Mm -hmm. The reason why I depict that example is because my opinion is that Zillow and having an online tech, all streamlined, boom, boom, boom type of real estate transaction will appeal to a certain segment of the market. Yep. But it is not my belief that that will be the majority of the market. I agree with that. Yeah. So I come from a much more abundant type of mindset than a lot of agents that are sure. like, oh, Zillow, the robots are here. Like they're coming to kill us, you know? I was uh, at, at the end brokerage. of the day, go ahead. Sorry. Well, I was just going to say briefly, sorry to interrupt you. Uh, I was at a brokerage previous and it was just bash Zillow, bash Zillow, bash Zillow. And I'm like, yo, I spent 16K on Zillow this year and made 90. Like, I'm fine with it, you know? And that was just one area, that was years ago, but that was just one area that I was spending money for the business and that was the return, right? Mm -hmm. And so like, oh yeah, they're taking our data that we give them and turning around and selling it to us. They're bad. Well, you're choosing to buy it. You could right. choose not to, like, it's that simple, right? But I mean, I, I agree exactly with what you just said. It, it, and it's, it's like... Um, Google, I mean, they own YouTube. No, I mean, don't they? Yep. And yep. there are people, and I've actually kind of shifted from let me Google it to let me YouTube it, right? right? And so those segments of the market, and I'm really big into archery. There's a company that owns, I forget how many brands in the industry. And it's like, well, who really cares? Like those two products are way more than I would ever spend on or I would, I would ever spend money on. And I use this one and love it and it's fine. You right. know, so it's not like the domination of that section of the hunting industry is a bad thing because one, one company owns all three. Like who gives a rip? I'm just going to use whatever I want to use. And a lot of people will lean into the relational. And I think that's a lot of how we condition people too, right? Mm -hmm. Not that we're manipulating people or smoke and mirrors, but they they say, or it's been said, we teach people how to treat us. And whenever we treat people relationally over transactionally, I believe that that reciprocates referrals and repeat business for people that are in it, not just for the relationship, but will lean into the relationship to do their business, which would kind of 
mirror what you were saying about it being not the majority, but the minority, you know? Yep. Yeah, I agree. The relational aspect of real estate, we've already said twice, and you know, this is a relationship business and yep. attempting to duplicate that at scale through one company where a single transaction flows through like 15 different representatives, you know, mm -hmm. just for the sales side and no one knows what's yep. really going on in that account. It's, it's just not the same experience. And I know, especially in the luxury area, they do not want that. They want oh, no. confidentiality, service. They're willing to pay a fee and not even negotiate it because they know they don't want to deal with it. Their time is very valuable and they want a seasoned professional that knows them and understands them to take care of it. So, yep. you know, with that being said, you know, I think we're on the same page and, you know, great points made on, on both sides. Sure. I want to switch now to lead generation. Okay. We've talked about referrals. We've hinted at lead generation. You've mentioned a lot of different things throughout the podcast. So I'm curious what has been your number one most profitable lead generation source other than referrals. Can't, can't be referrals. See, and, and I have, I have pondered this question and I guess most profitable. Ooh, no, I do know it. All right. I know it. Okay. So we put together, I was going to say online leads, but the return was the same, but the input was drastically different. So we put together a, a teacher, like a school teacher, buyer and seller program. And I have a really good relationship with um, a principal and superintendent here in, in the town. Nice. And he was able to kind of honestly go before us and call the other uh, schools in town. And there are several, but call the other schools and say, hey, you need to let these folks in to speak at your monthly meeting, right? Uh, teachers, maybe it's not all the same, but here they have, I guess, monthly meetings. And so we were able to go and provide, depending on what time of day, breakfast or lunch or whatever, a snack, and essentially roll out this program. And there were certain incentives that we gave and certain reductions or even additions, right? Depending on the service that, that we provided or that they preferred to choose from. Um, and that we spent right around $6,000 for all, all the schools combined, all of the printing, the uh, promotional items, those things that we were giving away or gifting away, even the credits at closing up to like, I think 500 bucks, but even still like all of that included was around 6,000 and we made just under a hundred thousand on it. And that entire campaign, even though it feathered out throughout the year, because not everyone bought at the same time, that that was run from like January to March or even mid-February. Like we just really just kind of filtered through them quickly. We had one or two a week for just a few weeks, it felt like. And then, you know, gathered a ton of information. People go in the database. You start your follow-up process, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, we qualified them pretty much on the informational card because them giving us that information was how we drew for the big gift basket that we also had. And so we were able to ask on that card, are you interested? I forget how we worded it. I've got it in my office. Essentially, are you interested in buying and selling, right? Is this a program that would work for you? And so those obviously were our hottest leads. And so that worked really, really, really well, really well. That's so smart. Yeah. I've never heard of anything like that. Yeah. Crafting a program around a particular avatar in your market. For sure. Which in this area, school teachers. Yep. What a great avatar to, to get into because once it's specific to them, this is the power of going niche. Now, 
the principal says, hey, to all these other schools, you got to let these guys come talk to you. They have yep. this awesome program specifically for teaching school teachers how to mm -hmm. buy and sell real estate. Mm -hmm. It's great. Our teachers are going to be happier. He probably went off and said stuff like, you know, instead of renting, they're going to be building equity in homes in this market. They're probably going to stay longer, right? Like they're going to be more settled and setting roots in this area, which we want. We want long-term careers from our yep. teachers. You're going to be building wealth. Like this is a no-brainer. Come on, guys, let them in. And For it sure. took you two months and $6,000 and yep. boom hundred K and, in, in, you know, commissions over that next 12 months. Plus that's not even considering the lifetime value of those transactions, the referrals, sure. the repeat I, business. I talked to someone today, literally today I sent that, not today I sent it, but last week I sent your two year home purchase anniversary. Like, Hey, two years has come and gone so fast. Hope you guys are loving the house. Have a great day. And she texted me today and was like, Hey, you need to come by. Right. She was, you know, thank you so much for the card. But it's stuff like that. You know, like you said, like the, the runway is really long for stuff like that. And, and I would say, even with the return we had, I don't think for a moment we maximized that to its fullest potential. But look at this. You can do it with anything. Hospitals, police and fire, school teachers, go be friends with HR departments, right? Start taking care of those. They see people coming and going, you know, yep. and, and you can tailor that to so many different things. And it's weird because as a, as a new agent years ago, someone would say, go niche, go small. And it's like, no, I need like literally all that I can get. And, and I need every bit of it. I can't forego something else because I'm focusing just here. Right. And now in terms of building business, I look at it now and I'm like, golly, going small and niche, like that is the only way to go. You know, like yep. you can do it another way. Sure. That's fine. But like for us, it's like, no, it's this one lane, you know, this one concept that we keep expanding on or, or chasing. Right. And so it's just funny how that, that mindset shifts over time. Oh, absolutely. And that's something that I realized with my marketing agency. In the beginning, I was doing everything for everyone. And that meant that I was marketing to no one. <laughs> I had I had no client. I had no <laughs> perfect customer. Yeah. And once I then chose real estate, not just real estate, I'm going to help top 1% real estate brokers with automated lead generation and follow-up. Mm -hmm. Like how specific of a market is that, right? Right, right. <laughs> and when I did decide that and go niche, now all of a sudden the systems and the things that we learned with one client can be replicated for others. And you can start to create momentum. And you can start to create case studies that actually matter to the next client because yep. it's just like them, same problems, you know, so you had the solution to it. So it's so interesting how the power of going niche has just unlocked my ability to scale my agency. It's unlocked your ability to scale your brokerage. And sure. it is such a powerful concept, you know, just understanding. I think that the, the fallacy there, when you're new into any market and you think like, you know, I need so much to survive. You're not understanding how big the market is. For sure. To where, for example, my goal, my like ultimate goal with my info product business, which is realnurture.io, that's where I templatized all of the lead generation and follow-up systems from my successful agency and put them online for e-learning. Mm -hmm. My goal with that is to scale it to 1% market penetration for the US and Canada which would be 15,000 agents. <laughs> wow. 
one percent market penetration. <laughs> wow. I mean, I mean, initially thinking like, you know, oh gosh, like every real estate agent, I want this to be a household name. It's like I don't even need that to be a reality. Yeah. To have such a massive impact, one percent market penetration would be and fifteen thousand agents on, you know, learning from the system and being empowered with this technology that we've put out there. That'd be game changing and, and that would be a big fulfillment piece for me. Like I would feel like I impacted, you know, the real estate community in a positive way. For so sure. yeah, just understanding that like niche, you don't have to be broke going niche like that. In fact, it's the opposite. Like, oh yeah, really. <laughs> absolutely. And it's funny you bring that up because as we are growing aggressively and, and, and expanding and putting these new pieces in place, the thought is, you know, how do we get to X amount of agents? How do we serve this many people? How do we help these many businesses? And it was becoming daunting to think that we would need to get to something just astronomically huge. And then you step back from it for just a little bit, just like you said, 1% is 15,000, right? We're at 111. I would love to grow to 1500, right? thousand, cool, 1500 agents. Like Texas is huge. That And there are several ma major cities, Houston, El Paso, San Antonio, Dallas, which we're here, and then Austin, right? Like a bunch of major markets that we could pull that off in, or we could expand and go to Oklahoma. But then I, I get back to what you just said, like, no, there's a ton of business, like right out the door, you know, like it's right. literally right here. And so it's crazy whenever you focus in on that and realize exactly what that is, what it actually is, right? Like it could be huge. So. No, hundred percent. I'm curious how you leverage digital marketing to gain, you know, list exposure to your listings and generate new leads. You almost said that online leads were your most profitable lead generation source before the, the really unique campaign with the teachers came up. Yeah. So you know, I'm big into Facebook advertising, you know, mm -hmm. Google PPC, having really good conversion systems in place so that those leads aren't just generated and then called back three days later, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. like sure. what happens in that first five minutes? What happens in the first day? What happens in the first seven days, right? Yep. Like I'm really big on that. So I, I'm curious how you leverage digital marketing mm -hmm. um, to, you know, either promote listings or gain new leads. Yep. So we are are leveraging Facebook, social media in general, right? And, and we're kind of twofold. It's it's to the consumer and it's to the agent, right? And right now, to be just completely forward and honest, black and white, a lot of our intentional marketing efforts are to the agents, right? As opposed to, as opposed to we're going to like if, if you're looking from one company to another or even agent to agent, right? Choose your random agents and kind of pit them against each other. Just looking at it that way, instead of saying, we're going to sell more houses, we're going to do this, we're going to take market share and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Silly, cliche, ultimately don't care, right? What we're doing is we are focusing on our agents and making sure that as a company, we are, we are, even if it's incrementally better each and every day, maybe it's the way that we serve them. Maybe it's the way that we keep them informed about 
X, Y, and Z. Maybe it's the way we send a link that makes scheduling easier. Anything that makes the agent's life easier because they're here or their life is better because they're here, I believe those other things will take care of themselves over time. So quite frankly, in terms of let's market for listings and let's market for buyers to turn around and send to agents, that is just not a a huge focus. So it's not that we do it poorly, it's that we don't focus a lot on that, right? So a lot of it is, is built towards the agent themselves. Interesting. Yep. Yeah. So making the lives of the agents on your team easier. For sure. Being there. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Because agents make this career so much harder than it has to be. So giving them tools and gadgets and resources and all these things that are only going to complicate, it's not that we give nothing, we give a lot, but what we give is a very simplistic approach or at least one, not that's what that's watered down or not that we're assuming that everyone is stupid and needs just the simplest version, but just ensuring that what they receive is digestible, understandable, like bite-sized pieces that make their life as an agent simple. Got it. Yep. That makes sense. And then they kind of take care of that digital aspect because now they're not bogged down, confused. They can go promote it in tons of Facebook groups and, and uh, you know, work their sphere and get things done. Absolutely. Interesting. Okay. And I'm curious if you have anything that you do for your clients that nobody else in the industry does, you know, that you know of. And you've mentioned some unique things, but I'm um, curious if anything comes to mind when I ask that question. Yeah, I really don't know what that would be, but what I do know, because uh, like I could throw out like, we have good client parties, right? Well, that's been done before. And, right. and the other thing I'm going to mention has been done before too, but I take really good care of my top preferers, top referrers, not preferers, sorry. Mm-hmm. But the people that refer the most, they have special care. I sent um, to the Gaylord Hotel, I sent some individuals on uh, just a, a one night stay down there and one of their nicest suites. And, you know, it was a couple hundred bucks, but in the grand scheme of things, what they had referred me was probably $30,000 worth of income over the years. So saying, hey, let me go spend 400 bucks for you to go have a night free from the kids and to just go and be by yourselves, right? In a, in a right. nice, fancy hotel. That was one of the ways, that's the only one I'll share, but that was one of the ways that I feel like was unique is it singled them out and was just a very much a a huge thank you to your dedication to me and the business that I'm building. That makes sense. And once again, you know, that's a a strategy that's right in line with some of my top producer clients. So I'm excited to see where you grow your brokerage to. Aaron, for example, has A, B, and C clients. Mm -hmm. And then he has his A+. Mm -hmm. The A+, are ones that not only bought or sold, but they also referred. Mm -hmm. The moment that someone refers, now they're an A plus because that is a relationship that you want to covet and nurture and build. And he treats them with amazing respect and showers them with gifts, invites them to epic client appreciation parties. It's constantly keeping in touch with them, giving away things, checking on the kids, just like he's the only one that calls the A pluses, you know? Sure. And, uh, and that 
one concept. It's one of his big principles is like, look at your database and call through them and ask one simple question. Yep. Would you refer me or use me as your real estate professional if you haven't done a transaction with them? Mm -hmm. And if they say no, cool, good to know. Not going to spend marketing dollars on you. We still yep. be friends, you know, but I'm not going to send you campaigns and cookies and mailers. And mm -hmm. if they say, yeah, of course, you know, boom, they go into this pile. And that would be more like segmenting in the beginning. Mm -hmm. But then even after the transaction, the conversation goes a little differently, but similar concept, you know, call them up after a couple of years and, you know, maybe you call them every quarter, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Hey, just want to make sure I'm still your guy, right? Yep. You know anyone that's buying or selling a house? No? All right, cool. But but I'm your guy, right? And get them to say yes. Okay, yep. cool. Just want to make sure, right? Yep. <laughs> and just just those fun like touches again, like business first, making sure that they know your intent and uh -huh. that they can feel that you know it's coming from a good place, but For that sure. it's clear. It's like, look, I want you to refer people to me. Yeah, you understand that? Okay, cool. Now we can move forward. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah the, the power of that. It's so simple, but you depicted it in one of your early scripts where like. The agents just kind of beat around the bush. Oh, okay. Well, you know, I'll stay in touch and, um, okay, have a good day. Uh -huh. Right. <laughs> it's like, no, this is what I'm here for. <laughs> yeah. That's not the same conversation. Yeah. No, sure. So, so, you know, with that being said, uh, we've covered a lot and I, I do want to ask you another question about, you know, beliefs, behaviors, and habits. Cause I really think that that is really what it boils down to when it comes to the success and consistency over time. So in the last five years, what new belief, behavior, or habit has most influenced or impacted your life? Mm, that is a great question. I'm going to go with reading more often. I try mm. to read every day. I don't read every day, but things like that. And essentially, our businesses grow to the extent that we do. Right. So to constantly be learning. And for me, someone who struggles with depression right? For someone mm. like that to be filling my mind and my time with positivity. I am huge on Navy SEAL like approach, right? Like war, whatever, do your own thing, whatever. But their approach and their grit and the way that they train and the way that they overcome and the way that they're not out of any fight ever, right? Real estate, I mean, in the same are kind of are one and the same and obviously mm -hmm. not literally because we're not getting shot at, but it can, I mean, I, I think, and I, I've contemplated keeping a calendar of days where I feel like today was a win or a loss just to mm. see where I wind up after about 90 days and look at the calendar that tells me that I mentally thought today was a win or loss. And then to look at the business and say, what was that actual story? Right. And I've not done that yet. I, I've just recently started thinking about doing that. Uh, and it stems from dealing with depression, like depression, like I can't do it today. I suck. This is terrible, which we all have those feelings. Like I have like legitimate depression issues, but um, we all have those feelings anyway. Right. But just reading again, reading or podcasts, things that one could say are motivational, motivational, but things that deliver to me or I gain a sense of ability to overcome. Right. Those things I believe in the last five years have really, really helped in my career. Um, we have two kids, so the ability to overcome needs to be very high, right? 
So, you know, it's stuff like that, that I just feel like really in the last, like you said, five years have really started to shape, not necessarily who I am, but kind of how I operate. Right. I I even, whenever I, and I go to the gym often, I make sure that the gym has at least a little bit of suck to it. It's not, let's go have fun and just kind of lift a few weights. Like I want to make sure that if I'm in there working out or training or trying to be better at something, I want it to hurt a little bit because I know work at times is going to hurt. And I want to make sure that whenever I'm feeling and sensing that pain, I know what it's like to overcome or to get up out of that situation. Sounds weird. Maybe that's weird for you or for whoever's listening. But like for me, I thrive on those type of environments, or at least maybe it's the mindset or mentality of always being able to overcome. Yeah, powerful. And I would agree. I I think that in the last five years, my mindset work has been the most beneficial thing that I've done. Mm -hmm. My uh, fiance always kind of laughs when she walks downstairs. You know, I woke up at 5.30, went to CrossFit, worked out at 6. I, you know, got back at 7.15, nourished my body with like all the cutting edge supplements and all the stuff that just like is, I'm a a biohacker, so like human optimized, just amazing, like best in world nutrition, just in my body and listening to uh, motivational just whether it's like Jim Rohn or, you know, a different motivational video that day, just blasting it in the kitchen. And then she's like, just woken up, showered and is coming down to to go to work on her way out and just like laughs because it's like the motivational stuff and I'm all pumped up. It's like, great. Here's my fiance, the machine. (laughs) Yeah. And then she just like walks out. She's like happy. She just like wakes up happy. And I'm like, that's not me. Like, like I need to do a lot of work yeah. to wake to like then get to that point where I'm super optimistic and able to overcome things. For sure. So, yeah, I, I feel that that is critical. And, and, you know, thank you for also being vulnerable and mentioning the aspect of depression. You know, sure. that in and of itself is going to help. I, I don't know how many listeners out there that, yeah. you know, whether it's been, you know, clinically diagnosed or maybe they just maybe think they have it or even just negative mindset habits. Yep. I mean, that's a powerful thing to be able to admit and then say, and here's some habits that got me out of it. Sure. Positive self-talk, motivation, movement. Um, I was going to ask you if, yep. if uh, fitness or, or, you know, that type of like physical activity was in your routine as well, because Absolutely. I know that that's tied as a, as a cure to depression and, and a way to ward it off as well. So for sure. Um, yeah, it is. Yeah, no, that that's awesome. And and thank you so much for sharing that. Really appreciate it. You bet. Absolutely. Yeah. So we've covered a lot. I, I am curious if there is a question that I should have asked you or anything that you'd like to elaborate on from earlier. Man, I honestly feel like I feel like we covered it. I mean, and I appreciated your questions. I thought they were great. Um, some of them really made me think, you know. So I'm good. I I, I feel like we covered it. I, I feel like we're good. Awesome. Well, Landon Hale, everyone, how can they contact you? You can reach me on social media, Facebook, Instagram. Be happy to give you my cell phone if you want that too. Email, right? Like all these different things, but, but no social media, um, LinkedIn, I'm on there as well. So awesome. Landon Hale broker out in Texas and very excited to see where you grow this business too, because you have 
all the right habits in place and uh you know very curious to you know grateful to have you in my network now and very curious to see where you grow things so you're, you're on a great path so thank you for being a guest absolutely thank you for having me i appreciate it absolutely thank you for listening if you want to accomplish your real estate goals then i highly suggest downloading my free ultimate real estate goal setting framework the link is in the description of the show and it will help you break down your annual income goal into the amount of phone calls, appointments, or open houses you need in order to achieve that goal. Thank you so much, and we'll see you next time. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.